Using Rocket Pro TPO is like managing a team of all-stars. Our powerhouse squad of purchase underwriters complete document reviews and initial underwrites in just one day. With our industry-leading mortgage insurance and with a wide variety of products to use, your mortgage game will have zero weaknesses, helping you and your clients win more closings against today's tough competition. Rocket Pro TPO compete at the highest level. Call for cost information and conditions, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis. America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis mortgage mastery mentor and head chicken charge of kinetic spark consulting hi everyone it's jen duplessis welcome back to mortgage lending mastery my guest today is david corwin i have to be very careful to say it the way i know how to say it uh, deputy director of lender and partner activities with the usda rural development single family guaranteed program that part i had to read david to make sure i got it right and uh, just so everybody Wait. knows i have a friend called david corbin so i didn't want to mess that up uh, david was born and raised in endicott new york he has a bachelor's degree in economics and finance and for the um for 16 years that followed his graduation, he uh, garnered a variety of private sector experiences, including finance and mortgage management, retail management, education, sales, and I can't wait for this one, as a musician. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. Um, he began his career with the USDA in 2009, and his current role with National Headquarters directs the efforts of marketing, training, and outreach for lenders and partners of the Single Family Guaranteed Loan Program. So welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you here, David. And it, it was a long road for us to get here, but I am happy that we're here. Uh, you know, this is a very important part of our, um, you know, of our of both of our industries, because we have a lot of real estate agents listening in. We have mortgage people, you know, title people. This is a very important part of our of our industries in that it's important that we are giving back to those who are not being served like others, right? And the best way for me to say that. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, when they think about USDA loans, they, oh, I don't know, you know, it's, it's sort of like reverse mortgages where I know enough to be really, really dangerous. So I'll just say I don't do them. So help those that are listening here understand why or the, give some context behind why it's so important as a lender and even a real estate agent, if you're listening, to have that fiduciary responsibility in giving to all. Certainly. Um, and it's really not a complex program. No. It it's really fits right in just like FHA, VA. It's the third government program. Yeah. And the great thing about it is 100% financing, like the VA does, only you don't have to be a veteran. And there's just two main criteria. You got to live, the home has to be in an eligible rural area, and you have to meet the income requirements. 
Now, both of these are not very restrictive. If you look at our mapping online to see what areas are eligible, you'll see it's over 92% of the U.S. landmass is in an eligible area. Wow. Um, so it, it, the definition gets a little crazy because, of course, it's hard to define rural for an entire country. What is rural in Wyoming looks different than what is rural in Virginia. Yeah. So basically it boils down to mostly a town if it doesn't exceed a population of 35,000 good chance it will be eligible. Okay. That's a really good way to look at it. Um because I know you know we actually my husband is I wouldn't say he's an expert but whenever we had USDA loans he took them, right? He took care of them because that was his expertise. I did something else it was my expertise um when we were working together and um, you know, I mean, it literally could be that the house um, on one side of the street is eligible and the house across the street is not or the house behind it is not, you know, it really was that type of thing. And I think that and, and honestly, this goes to Fannie and Freddie, you know, with with their low down payment programs as well. I think that sometimes it's um, the extra work that needs to be done to look this up to help a client just is not something that all loan officers want to do. So how do we change that? Well, it's, and it's gotten easier over the years. I will admit before I started with the government 13 years ago and I ran a mortgage brokerage, I wouldn't do USDA loans. Mm -hmm. It was complicated. So when I came to the agency, one of my goals was, you know, making this a program that people want to use because the product is great. I mean, how do you be a hundred percent, you know, right. true, no money down right. for anyone who qualifies. And, but it, the process was difficult. Mm -hmm. It is way better now. We're more automated, um, have an automated underwriting program. So it is much easier. And, and the, the tools we have out there on the website, like the mapping program, it's yeah. just like using a Google map. You hop in, you look at the shaded area. So if someone's going to go shopping for a home, just go look, okay, let me see in your area, are there any ineligible areas? And then if there are, okay, well, if you want to use this program, here's the areas you got to yeah. be looking in to be eligible. Yeah. Um, and the income part is go the ahead. other. No, no, part. keep going, keep going. The income. As yeah. I said, the income. The other requirement is you can't exceed a certain income limit. And what that is, is 115% of the median household income for the county that you're in. Right. Um, and you'd be surprised 115% of median household income. It's about 70% of the homes in the nation fall underneath that. Wow. As everyone knows, we have some income disparity in this country. So it's not that restrictive. The lowest that number gets out in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, for a family of four is 92500 Wow. So, you know, yeah. we're not talking super restrictive income limits here. Yeah. Uh, but it is the complicated part of this, which is why some loan officers don't want to get into it. And I get it. It's you're looking at two different income calculations, one to see if they qualify for the program. Mm -hmm. And then you're doing your normal income calculation to see what they can afford, because to qualify for the program, it's every adult in the household counts toward that limit, whether right. or not they're going to be alone. Right. So um, does, it, does it count kids? I can't remember if it, I know VHDA does no. working children, <laughs> you know, if their no, kids are uh, working. Yeah. Yeah. No, a working child. So someone in school, even in college, um, yeah. a child that's, that's working and in school. No, you only count the okay. first $480 of income. And the reason you do that is it offsets the $480 deduction that we do for children. Right. Right. Okay. So basically gotcha. no. 
we do yeah, not have it makes cap. it no. Um, how is the finance, the, not the financing, but the funding going? I remember we used to submit loans and then they would sit until funding came in and then they would very quickly be underwritten. So what, <laughs> and you were, you were always just hoping that your loan was at the top of that pile. Tell <laughs> us what's happened to happen in recent years with funding. Is there any change with that? Is it still, you know, yeah, a congressional that, issue? <laughs> that has changed. Um, some years ago, I should probably know this year. Um, I, I think it was, it was a late 2000s when, or maybe it was around 2011, I really should know this number, but <laughs> um, that's when we put into place the fee that we charge, that upfront funding fee of 1%, mm -hmm. which can be rolled into the loan. And then there's an annual fee, which currently is 0.35. So right. the fees are very low, comparatively speaking, too. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah. So those fees, uh, those are always determined year by year uh, based on any losses that we've experienced when we mm -hmm. pay out on our loan note guarantees. Um, so it's pro, um, it's budget neutral. So we have no limit anymore. Technically, we were given $30 billion. Right. Now, we can always go back for more money if we exceed that. And every year when we ask for that amount, we set an amount above what we expect to do. So we do not have to go back and ask for more money. Yeah. Um, but that would just be a matter of asking, too. So the days of running out of money for the program... Are over. Well, and this is yeah. why it's important to talk about this because I pride myself on being up with everything, even that I haven't been in the industry. I pride myself on being, you know, as, as far along as I can without having access to all the regs and stuff. Um, and, you know, I think this kind of goes back to the old days with, with uh, real estate agents with VA and FHA, and they'd say, oh, I'm not going to do those loans because they're for, you know, people who this, that, and the other. Well, heck, our guideline, you know, our, our maximum loan amounts are in the sevens and eights in some areas, you know, and it, so that can't be those type of people, but it, it sticks, right? It sticks. So that's why it's so important. Um, to be talking about this. How do you think, um, what do you think will change? Or maybe it already has, because I don't know when um, the limits come out, like the median income, I get that. But how are you um, kind of uh, managing, I guess, would the word be managing the rapid appreciation that's happening? And while someone meets the criteria for the income, they're almost priced out of the market because in those areas, the values of homes have gone up just as much as other places. So how are you all managing that? Gotcha. Um, and yeah, so we don't have a limit on the, on the purchase price purchase of the price. home, right. but because there is an income limit. And mm -hmm. of course, look at debt ratios, just like any other program. Yes, yeah. there is. And there county is limits and yeah, yeah, yeah. For FHA and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah, so like have you're you... saying, there's an affordability limit essentially, but yeah. uh yeah, most of, yeah, we do, uh, as I just explained, with the amount of land mass we cover, we do end up in what you might think of suburban areas. So we, we are still in areas that have been appreciating significantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, really, it's not that there's, there's just no inventory right now, as you know, yeah. there just yeah. isn't an affordable. Yeah. So it, it's not that they've necessarily priced out, there just isn't the inventory there. If it was, homes can still be built for the right price, even though it's increased, which is why yeah. we have the construction program. Um, but yeah, so with, and like you were just alluding to with FHA and VA and USDA, we're all in that same boat that when the market's tight and there are, there's a competitive market and there's multiple offers on the table, our, the government loans, the government offers get shuffled to the bottom. Everybody yeah. knows it. Mm -hmm. The the real estate agents are saying, you know, take the Fannie, take the Freddie. No, no, no. You don't want the government ones. I, it's how it is. It's yeah. unfortunate. But 
Yeah. And, and it's, I, you know, I've always been an advocate for the underdog and I have always felt that, um, you know, just because someone can put 20% down doesn't mean that they're the best client because the other person who wants to do an FHA saved the three and a half versus getting a gift. <laughs> and right. <laughs> so you have to look at that, you know, you definitely have to look at that. Um, you know, when COVID happened a couple years ago, you know, as we're recording this, the, um, you know, there was a swarm of people that started coming out to the country. And, you know, we've been living out in, in the country here for 19 years on 21 acres. And all of a sudden we have neighbors, right? We're seeing that we have more and more homes being built out here. They're very high end homes, but, but there's this, this uh, swoosh of people coming out to the country because they don't ever want to be stuck in an apartment if COVID ever comes back or something else like it. Did you all see some type of an increase in volume during that period of time whenever everyone else was experiencing it? Or do you think oh, it yeah. got lost in the shuffle? Year, okay. No, that first year of COVID, we had our biggest year ever. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Unexpected. Well, I don't think a lot of the market saw that year coming. And yes, no. we had our biggest year ever. And I, I think there's probably something to that, but considering it was the first year of COVID and this yeah. whole migration of working at home yeah. was just getting on its way, you know, I, I couldn't say it was because of that. I think it was just simply a big year. And um, yeah, there, like I said, migration out, I think happened as COVID went, not right at the onset, probably. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I see you're working at home. Is this normal oh, yeah. or is this I, just I, today? You are one. Uh, no, actually, when I took this new job with the national office, um, because that's changed too. a couple of years ago when I took this job, that's because we changed. This used to be run state by state, even though yeah. it's a federal program. Um, so then that was changed to where now it's one national team. So lenders who work across state lines, that's another beautiful thing. If they haven't been in it for a while, you'll see consistency. You're going to one team for the whole nation, regardless of what state you're in. So you aren't going to get rules interpreted differently in different Good. states. <laughs> one team. So yeah, when I took that job, that's what put me at home. It's just yeah. coincidence. It was at the start of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's really, really important. You know, I was an underwriter. In fact, I was my underwriting number was A421 for FHA. That's how long ago I was one of the first delegated underwriters. And, um, you know, I remember when we grabbed New Mexico and they had blue doors and they had these weird kind of fences. I can't remember the names now, but, but they, I would say that looks terrible. And they go, no, no, you can't touch them. And the blue door means this thing. And, you know, and then I moved and I was in Colorado, moved to Virginia and everybody wanted termite inspections and someone would ask for a termite inspection in Colorado. And I go, no, there's no termites there at all. No one does anything termite. So yeah, I love that you're saying that because that does make it easier for people to be able to cross different states, different counties, different, even different regions in a state are very uh, unique, yeah. you know, to specific areas. All right. So let's talk about the, what, the single close construction program that you have. And I know you have a re rehab and repair. So let's talk about the differences between the two and what you're seeing um, is how people are utilizing these programs. Maybe you can give us some examples. Sure. Sure. And the single close construction, and it's a great time for any lenders listening right now to get in on that. There are just a handful of lenders right now in the nation that are utilizing this program and a couple that are trying to become the place to go for this because mm -hmm. it hasn't been established yet. Uh, the great thing about our single close construction program compared to the other ones out there our loan note guarantee, which again, for that we didn't discuss that yet, but so USDA guarantees the loans 90% and up to 90%. What it basically is, if you experience a loss, 
we do 100% of the first 35% of the loss based on the initial financed amount, and then 85% of the amount thereafter. So it's an incredible, it, it, it takes away almost all of the risk you have of doing one of the loans. So with our single close construction, the beauty is right at the signing before a shovel goes in the ground, we put our guarantee on that loan. So everybody's got the lender safe, the realtor can get their commission and the builder building the home knows if anything goes wrong with the deal, they're still building the home to completion. Yeah. They, their job is sound. So it's just great that everything is covered all the way along. And we've offered a second option, which is a securitizable op option. So what that means is instead of making interest only payments during construction, full PITI payments get made from a reserve account. So these are rolled into the loan. Mm -hmm. So the person, you know, our borrower, many borrowers can't afford to pay both their rent or current mortgage plus that, right. especially USDA borrowers would find it hard. So that can be rolled into the loan, paid out of an escrow account. So because it's the full PITI payment being made from the beginning, that means the loan is never, is never re-amortized, never, there's no modification. Right. So it's securitizable with Ginny May, again, right from the signing of the pen before a shovel goes in the ground. Yeah. And that's really important for those of you that are listening. If you haven't done rental loans, you know, rent FHA renovation loans, you know, whether standard or, or the streamlined, any of that, I know that that can be a lot to take in because it, it's a lot of information. But um, yeah, I think that that's really important too, because if, if uh, a loan officer or real estate agent is listening to this, they want to go out and talk to, you know, a boutique builder or the, you know, the one-off sort of spot builder that's like out here, you know, all of a sudden this one builder's popped up and he's building all these houses around here, but not in a neighborhood, right? It's just like he's popping up. So if you want to go to them, this is a key selling point for them is that um, they have guaranteed um, guaranteed income for completing that home, no matter who ends up buying it, <laughs> right? If yep. something bad happens to the borrower. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay, so talk, talk about the rehab and repair products. Um, I imagine, so is, this, is, is this a buy or a refi or both? Uh, no, it is a buy. Okay. So it's it a purchase a and yeah. rehab. Mm -hmm. It's a purchase rehab. Yes. Yeah. We don't okay. have a refi rehab. Nope. Okay. Um, in fact, the only refinancing we allow is refinancing of our own loans. So a current USDA borrower can refinance to get a better, better rate when the market does so. But no, otherwise there's no refinancing into our program from the outside. Okay. Um, so the rehab repair, just like the single close again, yeah. before the work's done, you sign at closing and before the work even begins, the lender's covered with the loan note guarantee. Okay. And you can roll in up to six months of payments. Okay. So again, the, person, the house isn't livable just yet. They can roll in up to six months of payments into the, into the deal. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. And that's a single close as well. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Cause some of them, they are you know, you can live in it, but they just want to add a garage or they want to, you know, do whatever they want to do. Yeah. You can do uh, that kind of rehab too. Yep. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Is this chattel or non-chattel? Is it, you know, can we do landscaping or can we add more square footage or do we have to stay within the footprint of the property? Is there a couple of different, and I'm comparing this to FHA standard and streamline. Is there that difference in this as well? Gotcha. Yeah, you can do landscaping, um, really anything that's necessary for the house and adding on to the house you feel is necessary. You know, maybe you need more room for more kids or whatever. Um, okay. Yeah, just obviously you, whatever it is you're doing has to appraise. Yeah. Uh, because this is, again, no money <laughs> down. So yeah, <laughs> can't, exceed yeah, can't be the biggest, baddest house in the neighborhood. That's not going to happen. <laughs> right. right. Well, happen. 
certainly we used to have those kind of requirements. Maybe you remember where we had a home had to be modest. It right. was too hard to define that. So we did away with that. Basically, modest is what you can afford. We have income limits. So whatever you can afford. Yeah, that, that defines modesty. And you're, yeah. We don't yeah, do that stuff anymore. But pools. We don't have right. that pool restriction anymore. You can have a pool. Oh, nice. Nice, nice, nice. That's nice for them. Yeah. You can't okay. use our money to put it in. Right. <laughs> but if it's there. <laughs> That's a luxury. You can't do that. I remember right. that. We can't do luxury. Let's talk about current markets because I know this is the big, thank you for the mechanics of some of USDA. Let's go to the mindset part of this. Um, you know, we have an, an afford, I mean, the affordability index has gone up pretty substantially with rates going up as well. Um, so now people are less affordable. In fact, there was an uh, NAR, I think it was NAR, NAR um, statistic that came out. Yeah, it was. It was NAR statistic that came out that said that more than 50% of renters felt that they would never own a home in their lives. And that was the first time that exceeded 50% since they've been recording it, right, and doing the statistics. So there's a lot of people that are feeling deflated and like, I just give up. I can't do it. What do you recommend for our professionals who are listening and how they can be a voice of reason for people that feel that there's no option for them? Yeah, and that's it, it is hard. And I don't know what the answer is as far as when someone needs a government loan, like we discussed earlier, how do you get, mm-hmm. you know, how do you get your deal accepted over others in such a competitive market? We, we don't have the answer for that, <laughs> but unfortunately, um, but realtors, they're just uh it would help if there were more who weren't afraid of our product. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I was speaking from experience in the past. I didn't want to touch this either. I get it. It used mm-hmm. to be really horrible to deal with. It's not the case now. I get it's still a little more intensive that we have that extra step of qualifying the household for income um, and that you still have to submit your file. The lender still submits file to our team that everyone gets looked at by a live person. Uh, But since we've turned into this one nationalized team, things run much smoother. So now it's rare we exceed that 48-hour turn time. Yeah. And I know in this day and age, 48 hours seems like the world. But, you know, (laughs) hey, two extra days to get someone in a home with no money down. It's really not, it's really not that bad. Yeah. Are you, um, can I interrupt you just for a second? Are you doing, um, are you doing a credit only decision for anyone? So that you know that at least from that perspective, they're approved from the financials perspective, and now they need to find a home that meets the cri- meets the criteria. Are you doing no, that? No, it's, it's okay. still up to the lender. It's still full lender. Okay, gotcha. We don't underwrite. We just review. So the lender, okay. the lender is trained in our product. They underwrite it. We're just reviewing to make sure that none of the rules were broken. Gotcha. Um, and okay. that's gotten better too, because I know some underwriters might have used to experience again different things state to state. Mm-hmm. But now everyone's on the same page. It's it's a review. And that if yeah. you use one of the acceptable methods of calculating income, we aren't going to come back to you and question that and say, no, you should have used this. No, it's your loan. Yeah. We are gotcha. just reviewing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry about that. No, but I, <laughs> I just wanted, yeah. So the, you know, is not being afraid of it, uh, learning how it works, you know, and not, not uh, going off of what the old way was and really learning that. So what else do you recommend? So for realtors, that's what you were saying is don't be afraid. Yeah. It's really not that difficult to use. Um, and some of the misconceptions too, we have two programs. Now our guarantee program is the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, now we don't, we don't have limits on funding anymore. It never runs out. We have a direct program too. That does have limited funding. That is not budget neutral. It is a subsidized program. And it just has, I believe it's a billion dollars a year for the whole nation. 
Yeah. Um, which sounds like a lot, but that can go quickly. It can um, go quickly. And that has yeah. stricter, stricter income requirements where you have to be, mm-hmm. can't exceed 80%. And what is it? It's subsidized. So that, that family, if they qualify, the government helps to pay for the loan by pretending the rate is 1%. Mm-hmm. and subsidizing the difference. So even though the rates right now are up to, I don't know, what are they, 4%, 4.5%? Five. The person would, five, okay. And the person would pay five. as if the rate is 1% and the government is subsidizing the difference. And right. they, when they sell, uh, move out, whatever, they will pay some of it back. It will not exceed, um, it will not exceed what the value is. So you won't end up upside down. Right. You won't have any, have any negative. Yeah. I can't even think of the words yeah. anymore. We used to know all those words when you were upside yeah, it's like down. A negam type situation. Right. Yeah, it's not, it's not a negam. Like well, it's definitely not a negam, but even, even, uh, you know, we won't be chasing you for the difference, whatever that is. I, how, how come I can't remember all those words we used to use? Right. So the worst it would get for them is yeah. they'd have to give up 50% of whatever profits they realize. So yeah. If they end up selling the house and they're going to make twenty thousand dollars, but they owe thirty in subsidy, they're only giving up ten, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of like First a shared equity. Program. It's just shared equity. It's like you know we're going to do this for you, so you're going to share the equity with us. That's really it. It's very similar. Yes. Yeah. Very, now that one is a little more complicated. You no are question. working directly with USDA staff in your area. Yeah. It's not an automated underwriting, and it can take longer. There's often lines of people waiting to get into the program. I, I don't believe too bad. I, I'm a little out of touch of that now too. It, it depends state to state too. I think sometimes. Oh, I imagine you, depending on areas that are growing and still have the rural sure. designation, but it's growing and yeah, right? right. That's probably your sign. If there's a long list, there's something happening that that area is probably changing. Um, okay. So what, what advice do you give to loan officers who some, some people honestly, with rates being as low as they've been for so long, there's a lot of people who've been in the business for 10 years and have never even heard about it. Believe it or it's not. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I knew very little about USDA when I, when I worked during the subprime days, you know, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. anybody with a pulse could get a loan for 100%. So why did yeah. you need the government? So, yeah. um, so I was not real familiar with USDA when I started working for them. So yeah. I get that. And I know... Yeah. Out of all the lenders out there, there are plenty of lenders who don't do USDA. It, it is still a great time to get in because, again, you can't beat the product right. 100% for yeah. anyone who qualifies. And so many people qualify. Like I said, the majority of land in the nation, about 70% of the households by income. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of people that qualify. Yeah. Just a matter of lenders wanting to do it. And we can make it simpler. We have, again, better trainings out there now that are mm-hmm. online. And my team does them individually. Right. Even with lenders that have been using the program for years, there's yeah. turnover all the time, new processes, right. new underwriters. We do individual trainings all the time. Yeah. What is your hot, you what's your hot market? What do you think are some hot spots in the country? If someone's listening to this, they're going, hmm, I'm going to look in this. But, you know, I'm, if I'm sitting right. in New York City, I'm not going to be doing USDA. But right. um, what are some hot spots? I, you know, I wasn't expecting that question. I <laughs> not because I'm not on the production side. Right. right. I just don't see. I mean, I know the states that are always commonly at the top. Right. Um, and I'm not sure if it means the market more than because they're always there than it was just maybe a better job of that state over the years, making the relationships with the ah, lenders. It could be. Yeah. Understood yeah, yeah. the program. But yeah, uh, yeah Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, Tennessee, Michigan, North mm-hmm. Carolina. Yeah. Parts of North Carolina. Yeah. East is pretty, yeah, pretty active. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and probably the West is just 
probably lack of knowledge of use, utilizing it because there's plenty of places there, you know, in oh, Salt yeah. Lake, outside of Salt Lake, Utah, I mean, not Utah, Idaho, there's some areas there that, you know, definitely would. would so again, you know, there's if you're listening. plenty of land in California, but I think the pricing out there kind of keeps well, our there's pockets. <laughs> there's there are pockets. There are pockets. Yeah. There are little pockets. pockets of places. I know I, I'm coaching someone who said, yeah, my average loan amount is like 210. I'm like, what? What, what happened there? Um, just a little pockets, you know, that, that are connected to Idaho and things like that, you know? Um, so, okay. So that, that gives us a little bit of, of that, you know, so I think if you're what, you know, you're listening or watching, watching this, this could potentially be a niche for you that helps you go forward. And one of the things, I mean, I'm, I'm, my wheels are spinning already because I'm naturally a salesperson and I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, here people always say, well, I have to move further away from DC because I can't afford to live close to DC and these outlying counties, um, you know, it's the commute. That's the problem. It's the commute, but you could live inside, right? And I'm not going to say the beltway, but just closer in, you know, closer in, uh, pay higher rent, take forever to save money to get some other type of loan. Or you could decide now that you want to move out, get a um, lesser priced home, take advantage of today's rates because they're going to continue to go up for the next 18 months, take advantage of today's rates. And work from home if it's possible, right? If it's possible, there's a niche there for those types of clients that are working from home and sitting in suburbia. Yeah. And, you know, that's what you want to do. And it's easy to find a needle in a haystack if all you talk about is looking for a needle in a haystack. Right? <laughs> it's marketing. That's really all it is. Yeah. I absolutely love that. What other things would you want to talk about? You know, we know that housing inventories, you know, um, containing rising amount. This is what you said to me, a rising amount of uninhabitable stocks. So the re, you know, the rehab is definitely good. I'll tell you, I bought a house in Thayer, Illinois for $9,400, a two bedroom, one bath, because it wasn't inhabitable. Right. And so people are, are definitely doing that. So what, if you were to step back into your mortgage shoes, right, into your broker shoes, if you were in this market right now, you know it's competitive, you know it's also competitive on the rate perspective, you might be going, ah, I've had the best two years and now what am I going to do? I hear all the time people saying go back to basics and it's just driving me nuts because you should already be doing basics. You should never leave basics. Don't go back to them. Just always do them. Um, <laughs> I don't know why people say it, uh, you know, and they're saying, I don't know, am I, do I go this fork in the road or do I go this fork in the road? Do I stay in this industry? Can I compete in this manner? What do you say to them for taking on this type of a product and introducing in the market and being the straw that stirs the market? Let's say if you don't have the product, it's absolutely necessary to have in your tool belt. Um, but for those that do, and even for those interested, the single close construction, we've been pushing it the last couple of years because we all knew this was coming. Yeah. You knew the refi boom was going to end. You knew the glory days were going to end. You could see inventory dwindling. You knew you're going to need new building. And to position yourself where you can be one of those few lenders that know single close construction, and probably not just our product, all the products mm -hmm. out there, there needs to be new building. Um I'd say that's, and again, the rehab repair fits right in with that too, that there are, there is stock out there some places that 
okay, well, there's a house, but it needs a lot of work. I know right. FHA has got a program for that too. So yeah. being in that position um, because of the lack of inventory and to have affordable inventory, you got to build or rehab. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a big part of that is manufactured too. And we do allow manufactured housing. And I I know everyone has that stigma with it too. And I know lenders are trying to find their ways to deal with that. Um, uh, One lender is focusing on cross mods Uh that incorporates a lot of the stick built features, but Mm -hmm. still saves you a lot of money and time and production. Um, And one lender is doing that by uh, one of the towns that burned down completely out there in California they're building, they're paying to have models built. They already bought land and they're building some of these cross mod models on there. So yeah. people can see in person, this doesn't look like a manufactured home. This looks right. like a single level, single family home. It doesn't. So get rid of the stigma. It's a perfectly yeah. good home. You can save you 30% off a stick built. Yeah. Well, and right now that's a big deal because lumber costs are so high, right? And, and yeah. this is, you know, I know it's a problem because my my husband works for a lender that supports one of the big, big um, builders in the country. And they have carted all of their supplies from south to north to complete the homes that are in the $800 to $1 million range and say, sorry, people that your house is 200 to 400. We're not going to, we're not going to be able to get your house done because we don't, we lack um, supplies. Right. So it is a supply and demand. It is definitely risk, you know, or their their venture out as a million dollars sticking out there versus 200,000. I totally get it, but it does create a problem for lack of housing. And you and I were just talking about this behind, not behind the scenes um, in the green room, you know, about a, a colleague of mine who is building tiny house development communities, you know, the full community of, um, it's not, well, I can't, those are kind of manufactured, right? But they're, uh, you know, they're permanent foundation, tiny homes in a subdivision that has a live work atmosphere, playgrounds and all that good stuff, just to try to find an affordable way for people to get into homes, you know. Um, I want to ask you another question. What is your take on what will happen with commercial? Commercial facilities, do you see that as being something that will be converted into affordable homes in some areas? You know, I read one article on that uh, some months ago, found that interesting. And now I, I don't follow commercial, especially since working for the government, I, I don't do commercial lending now. Right. So. right. But you're right. I mean, there, what are you going to do with all these buildings? Uh, offices are moving out. So many more people working from home. So can't lease that space anymore what are you going to do with it and of course stores switching to online i mean it's just Ah, yeah i know yeah i I don't know that would make sense uh my i have a feeling the way those would go is apartments not (laughs) just right i know i know well and because rents have gone up what 12.4 percent year (laughs) over year you know we what we don't want to sell them we just want to rent them out because (laughs) that will be the thing yeah. And I think that's that's going to cause, you know, some issues as well. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with as we're kind of closing out our time together? I guess just to all the listeners, um, hopefully you learned a little bit about the program. And if you're still interested, again, uh, reach out to us. We have very easy to use website and tools on there. And again, my team, click on the button from the website. You can reach us and we're happy to do individualized trainings. We're happy to talk more about any one of these subjects you want, single closed construction, whatever. We'll walk you through anything. That's awesome. And that's Have the same were- with realtors, just in case if there's any realtors yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. More about those trainings too. 
Absolutely. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is if a loan officer wanted to have a USDA training for a group of realtors, is that something your team would consider doing is saying, hey, let's just, or does it dive in too much to the technical piece? Is it more like the no, no, we do that as well. We've had plenty of lenders reach out, uh, especially within this last year. It's become more of a thing, I guess, again, struggling for business, trying to yeah. create value. So these training things to bring in their realtors and uh, yes, we we are happy to do the presentations there, too. And we always tailor it. Um, yes. If we're talking to realtors, I know they don't want to go down into the weeds of underwriting. They right. want to know the basics they need to know to talk to their right. clients. So yeah. we, we tailor our trainings to whoever we're talking okay. to. Okay. Awesome. That's, that's such a great thing. And we will have all the links in the show notes, et cetera. All right. Before sure. we leave, you said you were a musician. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk that about was, that. I love getting to the personal a long time ago. Here. Yeah. What, tell us about that though. What did, what did you play? Do you still was, play? What's the deal? I don't. Um, that was the nineties and I was actually in Northern Virginia. I lived, uh, well, a few areas out there. I lived yeah. in Herndon, lived in Manassas and yeah. Centerville, uh, played out some areas there. And then down in Charlotte, North Carolina, moved down there for a bit. Um, yeah, I played guitar, sang, wrote music. Um, wow. I've long since retired. My, my daughter's taken over now. She's, oh, she? and she's way better, way better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I was going to go somewhere with you on that, but I mean, I imagine, you know, Dave Stevens. Stevens Mortgage Bankers Association. Well, he's president of or the CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association. Worked for HUD. Oh, okay. Worked for HUD under Obama. He was assistant director of uh, secretary of um, HUD, right? The assistant deputy secretary, whatever they call that, of HUD. And um, a dear, dear friend of mine. And, uh, you know, I thought for sure that you were starting to tell me when you told me the 90s, I remember what he did in the 90s with music. And so I'm thinking, oh boy, what's what, I wonder if the two of you were connect, you know, doing some stuff <laughs> together. But he, uh, yeah. And I was waiting for you to tell me that you had long hair and you were doing the whole, you know, thing. I actually, well, I grew up in the 80s, so I loved hair bands. So, yes, I did have Big Bon Jovi. Even if it were air guitar, right? Name, yeah, I, I did have the hair. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So I, did I, I, by the way. So did I. I had the poofy, poofy, poofy <laughs> hair. Yeah. yeah, the Aquanet, right? <laughs> yes, that's it. The whole bottle of it in the bathroom. Yeah, that's exactly Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. I remember those days. Oh my gosh. Yep. Well, they're coming back. I think a little bit of it's coming back, but David, it's just been a pleasure. Um, thank you so much. I hope that, you know, thank by you. the downloads that we have here and, and listen for all of you listening, you know, share this with your community, share this with your realtors, this particular episode. And I always say that, you know, when we have an episode, that's really, really good for you to share, you should be sharing anyway, but it's great to share this because it's good for you to, um, you know, expand your value proposition, as you were saying before, and this is a perfect opportunity to do it. So my hope is that we have more downloads than we normally do. Usually we have three to 5,000 a week, but hopefully we have some more downloads just because of the topic here to help you guys, um, you know, really see your mission to, um, to the fruition that you, you know, you're looking for. So Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Of course. So everybody, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to us. Please be sure to subscribe if you've not yet subscribed. And don't forget to go to YouTube to describe, subscribe as well. And also, you can text the word Jen 
to 26786 and get a free copy of my book, Launch, How to Take Your Business to New Heights. So again, that's text Jen to 26786 and you can get a free copy of my book. And I will be talking to you all later. We'll catch you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Jen Duplessis. America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis mortgage mastery mentor and head chick in charge of kinetic spark consulting hi and welcome back to this episode i'm your host jen duplessis and i'm so excited today because i have a guest whom i met at prosperity camp which is part of secret knock with dr greg reed and he was the publisher for my book impact which was a big acronym book and met Steve there. And I said, oh my gosh, Steve, you have to be on the show. And there's a couple of reasons why. One is you were in real estate and the other is that you are doing something really, really cool in the form of, and I just forgot the name of it. That's okay. Spiritual, spiritual intelligence. intelligence. Yeah, spiritual, spiritual intelligence. I keep wanting to go to the IGI in that. Yeah, I don't the, know Iggy, why. the IGI principles. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you. yeah. So I, I keep I looking at too. the I and going, is it inspirational? Uh, <laughs> you know, inspirational intelligence, but spiritual intelligence. So I'm really excited to have you on the, the show. So let me just quickly introduce you to everybody. You are the author of an Amazon bestselling book, Lead to Gold. And then soon to be launching the IGI principles, which we are going to be talking about today. That's what I'm most excited about. You are the creator of Alchemy Advisors Coaching and Consulting Firm, and you are the former CEO of Warren Buffett's uh, whole company or just the real estate side of his company. Yeah, the right? real estate side of yeah. the company in, in California. Yeah, that's so cool. And I know that you work with purpose-driven individuals and high-end executives. So what I want to talk about today, one, let's talk about your transition from being in real estate too, I talk about this all the time because going for mortgages, you're, you're sort of like a robot, right? It's very financial. It's the transition that puts you into this mindset mode. So let's yeah. talk about first your real estate background. What did you do? What were you excited about when you were doing that? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, speaking of transitions, I switched in my late twenties from being in the restaurant, hotel, and entertainment business of oh, gosh, comedy clubs, dinner theaters to that then became a real estate agent. Yeah. So when I was in my late 20s, became a real estate agent. Real estate agent led to real estate management. And I started managing real estate offices in Southern California. That eventually led to executive leadership. So I just kept climbing the ladder in the space of real estate and the companies kept getting larger and bigger names. My biggest and longest career path in the real estate space was, was Prudential California Realty, which was a franchise in Southern California owned by a, a couple that were a man and a woman named Stephen Nida. And they started out with like eight or 10 offices when I had joined them in, in 1994. And at our peak with the team, we grew that company to about 110 real estate offices. We were doing like 36,000 transactions a year and 25 billion in volume. So it became this massive, like small, tiny company to become a massive company. And then that got bought by Warren Buffett in 2000. And then I stayed on and they groomed me to become the CEO. So then I stayed in that executive world of being the CEO of that company for like five years. 
And then the transition happened into what I'm doing now because it, I'm sure, Jen, you remember 2008 and nine and the mortgage meltdown. And I mean, you have probably have scars to, from that as well, don't you? The great recession. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at that time, we were humming along 2006, seven, and just, you know, everybody was making tons of money and the real estate was booming. And then the market started just turning mortgage meltdown and the shorts and all of the stuff, the big fall, all of those things. So I was tasked with downsizing more than half the company. So in the next year or so, my team and myself had to close 45 of the 110 offices. We were laying off people, firing people, restructuring commissions. It was pretty brutal. And then a week before Christmas in 2009, I got pushed out. And here I'd been there 15 years and they pushed me out and put the guy in under me that made half the money that I made. So I said, hey, they didn't just fire a CEO. They just birthed an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I went on to open my own company and then that led to things that I'm doing now. So it was kind yeah. of this whole evolution. It wasn't by at the time chosen choice, but it was transitioned by a brick upside the head that yeah. caused me to go out and reinvent myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes that has to happen. That That's the same situation with me. The writing was already on the wall and someone just gave me the little push and away I went, you know, yeah. I totally get that. And then, so let's just, I want to stay in there just for a second, because, you sure. know, once real estate's in your nature in your DNA, you kind of watch it all the time. What do you see is what's happening in 2022? Because you know, there's low inventory, you know, there's lots and lots of competition, something that you and I, I mean, to the caliber that it is right now, we've never seen this, we've seen low inventory with higher rates, but certainly not with lower rates. So what is your take on what's happening in the real estate market right now? Well, if you look at some of the appreciations that's happening throughout the United States, Austin, Southern California, Everywhere. Different, different. I mean, it is unbelievable. I mean, the affordability factor for many, many people is it's exciting if you were a seller, no doubt. But if you're on the buying side of stuff, it's been brutal for so many people that have just gotten beat up and market worn. I don't see it continuing on that trend. I think what's happening with this Russian invasion, what's going to be happening with oil prices, mm -hmm. what's going to be happening with gas, some of the inflation stuff happened. I think it's going to start definitely cooling as it, uh, we've already seen some signs of that. As you mentioned, inventory is so freaking low. I mean, we've never seen it this low. The supply and demand is going to be there. Yeah. And this last couple of years has really put the awareness on real estate more than ever before because of some of these type stories. And there's still not enough product for people that want it. So I think we're still going to be in a strong, stable market. It's still unknown, though, what this war in another in these other countries are going to do. I remember back when it was the Gulf War yeah. in 1994. So, I mean, the real estate market crashed and went in the tank. I mean, it was just brutal. I don't foresee that happening per se. I don't have the full crystal ball. But what I see happening more on the real estate side, on the buyer seller side of the market stabilizing, things kind of leveling out, I think inventory is going to start building back up. I'm working with a few different companies right now that are building, like going to build product where they're doing right. even manufactured homes that look like custom homes, that they're buying land and putting it in that can be built quickly and offer affordable housing. The luxury market, obviously, I mean, some of these prices on the luxury market have been like, just astronomical, I mean, through the roof, because there's a lot of crazy money out there that people have a lot of discretionary money. The rich did get richer over the last years, like they always do. So well, that you market. own real estate, you are going to create your wealth. There's no That's problem. right. So right. I think every, and what I did find it, even though I got out of the real estate space in a traditional way, for the last five or six years, I've been consulting. So I'm outside looking in. So I consult with yeah. you know tech companies, mortgage companies, et cetera. But no matter what, over the last 30 years I've been in real estate, I don't care if I'm at a cocktail party, a beach, a kid's event, <laughs> right. uh, somewhere, everyone wants to talk about real estate. Yeah. It's something people want to own more of. They want to know what it's worth. So these conversations, if you're in real estate or mortgage or anything like that, 
is something that is always in demand. What I see happening is more interest, not more interesting, but equally as interesting to me is what's happening with the players in real estate. You yeah. look at who used to be the big boys in the dominant real estate companies and technology has changed the Absolutely. game. I mean, yeah. there are brands now that are the top two or three in the country in no, units no or market. volume sold. They weren't even here five or six years ago. Right. And no brick and mortar. Yeah, I know. I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of that too. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really cool. It's, it's funny because my husband and I, we have a little over a million dollars of equity in our house and it just drives me crazy that it's there, that I don't want to bring on, you know, I don't want to do a cash out and bring on the debt and stuff because I don't want to, you know, I want to move. But our problem is where do we go? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Got all that that's equity, but I don't know that's if I want right. to go on that buyer side and play that game and, the, and be in that sandbox right now. So, yeah. and we just don't know where we're going to go. So, well, I appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight on that. It's just interesting because I know I'm constantly looking at markets all the time because of being in the mortgage industry. I don't ever leave it. It's in your blood. No. So tell me what happened. You know, when did you start? I act like it's a start only because it sort of happened with me is that I, I was like, what's this woo-woo stuff? And I don't even use that word anymore, right? It's all mindset. But all this woo-woo stuff I was seeing and I was going, oh my gosh, this stuff is just so foreign to me. Because being in an industry that's so robotic and so financial, this was all new stuff for me. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to tap into this. Why do I want to go that way? But four years later, I'm so thankful that I have. It's really grown me and my practice exponentially. So what was the tipping point for you that, I mean, I've always been faithful. So when you say spiritual, I get it. But where was the tipping point for you that said, wait a minute, there's more to life than just chasing, you know, climbing some corporate ladder, having the corner office, making a ton of money. What happened in your life that that made that switch for you, if it did? Yeah, you know, it was kind of a gradual burn, if you would, meaning it was always in that pot of water that was you know, starting to heat up on the stove slowly, and then it came to a boil. I mean, I was brought up with very devout Catholic uh, parents who were very devout Catholic and still are. Luckily, my parents are still alive. They're great. But they brought up the importance of me of having something believing and higher than myself. Mm -hmm. And for them, it was Catholic religion. And in my early, as a kid and into my early teens, that was what I took on as well because that was what my parents introduced me to. What it did though, is I realized it was not my internal beliefs. It didn't ring full true with me, but I did know that it turned me into a seeker. So what it turned me into was a voracious learning machine And I'm a guy that barely graduated high school. Even though I became a Warren Buffett CEO, I'm a guy that barely graduated high school. I moved to my house when I was 17. I went to a few years of college, but I never finished college. But I was always hungry for learning. So I've always had a coach. I've always gone to workshops and seminars. And in those workshops and seminars in my late teens and early 20s, things like Think and Grow Rich, Tony Robbins, positive thinking. And that led to, okay, yes, positive thinking. Yes, affirmations. Yes, all that stuff. But then what's beyond that? And beyond that is the spiritual connection of that. So I started studying Eastern philosophies, Eastern religions, Western religions, and just became kind of a junkie about learning about different cultures and people. And some of the things that caught that as a wake-up call is I had a few near-death experiences where Mm -hmm. I almost died a couple times for different reasons of playing too hard, alcohol use, different things in my early days. And that really had me have another brick upside the head, like I was talking about when I got fired and it caused me to become an (laughs) entrepreneur. But I was climbing that corporate. I was in my, I was 38 or 40 to 40 years old. I had the car, I had the symbols, I had the house, I had all the stuff, but I was drinking like a fish and I almost died. I had a bleeding ulcer. I almost died and ended up in the emergency room. 
And I had already been on this spiritual quest and it caused me to, to really reevaluate my life. And I quit drinking alcohol and I haven't had a drink in 19 years. But that quest got me on a path of what's important. What am I here to do? What is life all about? What is higher energy? What is higher power? How do I define my spirituality? So it just became part of my daily and weekly integration of learning and growing. Yeah. So what a beautiful story and congratulations on your sobriety. I love that. My father was an alcoholic, so I understand that world and that life. So when did you write Lead to Gold? Was that after you had left Warren Buffett as well? Was yeah, that so the I first? left Buffett's company in 2009. And then I opened in 2009, one of the, still the worst real estate markets exist in a long time. I opened my own real estate company. Oh boy. I had about 10 offices within about two years. Yeah. So I went from getting fired to saying, hey, anybody want to follow me? And a bunch of people followed me and I opened up my own company. So for five years, I ran my own company, escrow, title, mortgage, the whole bit. And then six years ago, I was not feeling fulfilled and complete in that either. Mm. I was still hungry to grow. So I decided to sell parts of my company, phase out part of my company, and you know, it dismantled a bunch of it, sold parts of it. And then I started this company called Alchemy Advisors. And Alchemy Advisors is about transition and transformation, and it is about turning lead into gold. You know, Paulo Coelho wrote a famous book called The Alchemist, which is about turning lead into gold spiritually and mentally. So about six years ago, I decided that I wanted to completely reinvent myself and not just be in the real estate space. And I wanted to take all the things I had learned over the years from mentors, coaches, guides, workshops, and adapt that into businesses, not just in real estate, but I wanted to make sure that their common factor was they had to be purpose-driven people yeah. and purpose-driven businesses. And if they wanted to also be more productive, more profitable, and more on purpose, I wanted to find out how I could possibly help them and convert my skills into either consulting, coaching. And then I wrote the book from lead to gold. And yeah. then I went on the speaking circuit and started traveling globally and domestically. And then that led to what I do now five years later, which is consultant coach. And I've been able to do that with people that are looking to make a difference. And some of them are in traditional businesses, but they're doing traditional business in a unique way that's more purpose-driven. And then this last book that I just launched at the end of this last year, The Iggy Principles, is a spiritual leadership book. It uses the word God. It uses the word spirituality. It uses all of those phrases that right. some people kind of tiptoe around. Right. So I've been evolving myself. Right. Well, it's good. And I apologize for saying lead to. Oh, that's okay. It can, and it can be taken either way. That word yeah. lead is spelled the same way. And when I was writing, right, the book, right. Thought, when you look at this, it's either lead or led. And either either title works gray. because it is leading to gold or it yeah. is. Led to gold. Yeah, so it, it works is. either way. Yeah. No and it's gray. I could pick up lead. So yeah. And I love that your book is are progressing with you. And what's great about that is that, that people that are watching and listening could say, well, you know, I'm not ready for the, I keep calling it IGI, Iggy. Iggy. I'm yeah. not ready for Iggy, right? And I know the acronym. I love it. I can't wait till we talk about it. I'm not ready for Iggy, but maybe I want to hear about how I can do some transformation. And I think this is, they're calling this time that we're in right now, the great resignation. Mm-hmm. They're yes. calling it the great resignation where so many people are resigning, right? Whether forced or not, or whatever the reasons behind it, but so many people are resigning. And this is where people are having so much more transformation that we've ever had before exponentially. Absolutely. So you did this in the first book, and then you said, you know, that's not enough. I've transformed even more. I've gone and I've done some research in different religions and modalities of religions. And there's much more that I need to say about this. So why do you feel that leadership needs to be purpose-driven? In the past, it wasn't, right? And there were big companies. So what is the reasoning behind why you feel that 
leaders need to tap into some spirituality in order to get where they want to go. What I have found is that most people that I've met or talked to that are at a success level or want to be successful, they're yearning to eventually make a difference or make a difference now. They, you know, I'm like, well, why do you want to be rich? Why are you rich? What are you going to? And ultimately what comes in that is I want to make a difference. People say that. Or people are spiritually or religious based, but they don't feel comfortable enough to talk about it in their workplace. So it's almost like they lead two different lives. So what I wanted to do is have people come out of the closet, if you would, of spiritual discussion. I mean, we talk about emotional intelligence. We talk about intellect. We talk about IQ, EQ. And so to me, spiritual intelligence became more forefront for me to talk about it openly because of some of the things that you just mentioned, COVID, the global world. Mother Nature said, you guys don't think you can slow down? Let me show you. You don't think you can work from home and spend more time with your families? Let me show you. You don't think you can change your life, let me show you. And the entire world, not just the United States, the entire world has had a global pandemic that has shaped things. And the book was in process way before that. But I guess what I found is that there, that when I met all these successful people, many of them said, I thought it would feel different. Mm-hmm. I thought I would have more. Mm-hmm. I thought it would feel more fulfilling. And then that's when they start seeking for spirituality. Yeah. I mean, even think about Steve Jobs. I mean, Steve Jobs, who was very controversial, but very wealthy, very successful, Towards the tail end of his lives, when he got cancer and he started becoming more of a giver than a jerk to people at times, right. he, got, <laughs> right. he got stuff done. Right. I mean, on on some of the college commencement speeches that he did, he talked about, you know, he gave out the Paramahansa Yogananda autobiography of a yogi book about mm-hmm. spirituality. And I think what I have found is that I didn't want to be the guy that got to the tail end of my life and said, I wish I would have spent more time with what created me and my beliefs about that. I'm not here yeah. to, to teach religion to anybody. I'm not here to profess religion to anybody. Right. I call myself a spiritual mutt. I have a mixed philosophy. I believe there's more than one path to higher power than just yeah. one religion or one spirituality. But I want the conversation to happen because you go into some of these companies and people talk about mission statement and vision statement. And our younger people no longer respect authority just because it's authority. Yeah. People are questioning. Yeah. People are asking why. And at the end of the day, when you keep going, why, 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 why? To me, at the bottom of all that is always a spiritual something. That can be Mother Nature, God, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't even have to be defined to that. It just is believing in something higher than yourself and being of service. And you've been to a lot of workshops and you yourself are a servant leader. And servant leadership, to me, is one of the highest things that people can do. An authority position is to be a servant leader. And being a servant leader in an own self is a spiritual act. It's yeah. giving to others to give to for the purpose of giving. So it just became something I was compelled to do it. I could not no longer not do it. And it's what lights me up the most. It's where yeah. I feel most fulfilled. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It reminds me, I think you and I talked about this when we first spoke about, because uh, you know I'm Catholic and we have belong, and, and I did, I don't anymore belong to something called CBN, which is Catholic Business Network. And it was just a bunch of network, I mean, business owners, you know, top high end, like big, big time, big business owners and small business owners coming together. And we were all talking about Fiat, which of course is with the Blessed Mother and she had it, she appeared to people. And so we broke down that acronym because I'm all about acronyms. And we broke that down and called it faith in action testimonial. And so every time that we had a meeting, someone would stand up and and say, who has a faith in action testimonial to be able to incorporate our faith into our daily lives in business without running around and saying, you should be, you know, here are pamphlets for that religion and this religion and everything, but just to be able to, on a daily basis, do God's work. 
That's basically what it is, or the universe work, whatever you may call it. So let's talk about Iggy for a second here. Share with us the acronym for this. And um, and I know you love acronyms, so I I figured you would like that one. (laughs) One of the other people that I read along the way beyond Tony Robbins and Napoleon Hill and Paramahansa Yogananda and the Bible and all of the many, many things, the Torah. But Wayne Dyer, who many people would probably know who Wayne Dyer is, he's since passed a few years back. But Wayne started out as a psychologist and he evolved himself into becoming a spiritual psychologist. Then he just became a spiritual writer, speaker, leader. He was on PBS, traveled the world on Oprah, you know, and talking about this kind of stuff. And he talked a lot about ego, that when we are in our ego, and he said, it's when you're edging good out or you're edging God out. And we all have egos and we constantly fight with this light, dark side of ourselves. And sometimes the ego is necessary. I mean, just put it bluntly, the ego does get done. It just does. The ego drives us, the ego propels us. So there is a balance. There's a necessary act for it. So I thought, you know, and here I'm climbing the corporate ladder in my late 20s and 30s, and I'm like, got to have the car and the right briefcase and the right pen pen and the the right, uh, (laughs) whatever, the right cologne, you know. And so I was definitely in my ego, but I was still on a spiritual quest. So I was kind of like this ego driven guy, but still reading like spiritual books on my time off. But Wayne, when he said ego is edging God out and I said, God, what is the opposite of that? I've got to remind myself that every day because I'm in my ego a lot. And I still am. But at the time, I was really more in my ego. I said, well, that would be then inviting God in or inviting good in or inviting grace in or inviting greatness in. So I just came up with wrote down I-G-I. And I thought, oh, that's kind of like Iggy. And at the time, Will Smith, one of the rappers, singers, big movie stars, had a song out called Jiggy, Get Jiggy yeah, With Get It. Get Jiggy it With It. Rap- yeah. yeah. So I thought, oh, Iggy, this is my Iggy. So it was just for myself. It was my own personal mantra that when I was in my daily affirmations, when I was in walking to a meeting, when I was talking to my wife or my children, I would ask myself internally, am I an ego or am am I an Iggy? Is my decisions coming from ego or Iggy? Is my value system coming? So I just, it became then part of my DNA. And then I started writing down for myself principles about my Iggy. What is my inviting good in? What's a principle? And so then I started writing these down and then I realized I wanted to write a book about this. And so 10 years ago, not just a year ago, 10 years ago, I saved all these domain names, Iggy, got Iggy, get Iggy with it, Iggy Principles, Iggy CEO. (laughs) And I just tucked it away and said, I'm going to do something of that someday. And that someday now came last year and I wrote the book. And what was cool about the book is not only was it is is a book and is a, a love kind of book that I put out to the world. But it's also a multimedia book. So each chapter has a QR code or a a video link if you're in digital that takes you to a two or three minute video. And then it also has pre-written social media swipes. So it's become a multimedia book, which was different also in the evolution of what I was doing in the current day that people are digesting information. Right. So that was kind of fun to put out Yeah, Yeah. from multiple sources. Okay, so how many principles are there? There's eight principles and they range from things like forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, the power of gratitude, the power of paying it forward, the power of prayer and meditation. So the principles are nothing that, and it comes back down to the golden rule. We've all heard that for years. But what I did is I took the principles of the eight principles and applied them in examples of how you would tie that into business with your team. And I gave examples of how you would tie that at the board table, how you would tie that in. you know. And so people think about forgiveness with their family. They think about forgiveness with their spouse. But people don't always think about forgiveness in the workplace and forgiving <laughs> co-workers, forgiving clients, forgiving your competitors, and what the power of forgiveness does, or the power of gratitude, the power of paying it forward. So I just took these principles that for me are part of my daily DNA and applied them to a business sense environment 
And just like we have business plans where we work on our HR department, our legal department, our revenue projections, our units, our profit, our EBITDA, I now help business leaders tie in these principles into their own spiritual intelligence, into things, whether it's their trainings, their meetings, their agendas when they have meetings with people, their mission statements, that it's tying in these kinds of concepts. And then they're being talked about at the meeting himself. They're they're yeah. actually talking about these topics. So it be- starts, it becomes part of the DNA of the company yeah. as a factor, just as if you would about morale. You know, companies talk about my morale is low in my company. Well, to me, that's probably because there's not a lot of Iggy going on there. It's probably a lot of ego that are driving people to feel isolated and separated. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it probably, I'm sure I'm not even going to say probably, it elevates the culture, it elevates community, it elevates tribe, it elevates the stickiness of people not leaving because now they're like, oh, but I can't get this type of feeling, right? Because it'll be a feeling or emotion or sense of purpose, as you say, at the next company. So it, it allows for that to evolve within that company and expand that company and expand the people inside of the company at the same exactly. time. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're asking your receptionist, your operations manager, your CEO, your marketing director, what is their own Iggy? What is it their purpose is about? What do they value? What do they have their biggest fears about? Where are they struggling in their life? Where are they wanting to evolve? Right. Where's their hole in the soul? Do they have a hole in the soul that they don't feel fulfilled and empty? And, and when you can find out those kinds of discussions and people look at you like initially like you're crazy, like, <laughs> are, why are you asking me that? You're my boss or you're my peer or whatever. But it's amazing how people open up when you ask about what were your biggest challenges in this last month that caused you to feel not as fulfilled in your life or business? And what can we do to help fulfill yeah. part of that with you to have your, maybe someone wants to be in another department, in another career, maybe a coworker offended them in a really hard way. Maybe the company took a stance on something that was offensive. Maybe the ego of the leader is so about me, 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 and that profit, the team is not profit, feeling profit. included. So it just yeah. opens up these conversations throughout the organization that becomes like awareness. Like yeah. it becomes like, even on agendas, I tell people about putting in Iggy moments, talk about what the Iggy moment was for each person in that week, and then go on to talk about your sales projections in, in yeah. the next thing. So it's not like I'm so airy-fairy or so woo-woo that I don't know people have to make a profit and people right, have right. to make money. Yeah, but, yeah, but, it, but this is a top-down process that you're talking about is when the leader starts leading in that manner, then they welcome in everyone else, you know, and this is something I talk about with my coaching, with my clients too, is it just like you said earlier, here's our vision statement. Here's where we want to go. Here's our mission statement, the why we're doing, and then the how we're going to do it. But no one ever asked them what they want. And just, and I learned this actually from Jeff Hoffman, because Jeff said, you know, one of the things that he did was just ask his clients, you know, what are some of your goals? What are the, the things he said? One of the guys said, Hey, my goal is to provide my mom with a house. And he said, okay, well, then let's get you more education so you can move up the ladder so you can get more opportunities. Let's create some kind of a bonus system for you so that you can make more money. And just having that be his focus rather than the profits, the profits came, Yeah, exactly. right? The profits came behind that, but he just focused on it. He said the day that he was there when hit that person's, that employee's mother walked, drove up to the house and said, "What? Are, why are we here? And they said, this is your home. And here, and he has it on video and everything. And here's your home. And we even furnished it for you. <laughs> right. Wow, and we brought things in powerful. from your house. Yeah. And it's super powerful because that's exactly what you're talking about is it doesn't have to be bottom up. It can be top down. It can be all absolutely. kinds of ways, but I absolutely love that. I think that's good. So what's next for you? What's on the docket for you moving forward in what I call the soaring twenties? 
My goal is I my some of my advising and consulting has led into some being on a few boards of a few digital currency companies, a few crypto things. And I think that that world of the changing, just like real estate wants to be part of all environments, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. I think this new horizon of a new internet type thing coming in metaverse and with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, it is the next. It's kind of like when we went from dial up to high speed internet, where we went yeah. from before we even had websites, like what's the internet? I think just like this happened in COVID of this complete shift of the world, it dramatically accelerated yeah. by probably 10 years, the technology that was already probably going to come. But I think these kind of experiences with virtual experiences, virtual doctor's appointments, digital currency, from my consulting and cons standpoint and coaching standpoint, I'm going to be playing more in that space and bringing spiritual intelligence conversations to that. And I've also started about a month ago, my own podcast video show. So I'm having the Iggy principles, which will be in that show, but it's called the alchemy of business. So I'm interviewing leaders throughout the world. You're going to be on my show here very soon. So I'm excited to have you on. But talking to leaders who are doing really great things in leadership and business development and sales and the philanthropy work, whatever it might be, and how do they get to that level? And what are their failures? What are their challenges? And what are their Iggy moments? And that mm -hmm. is going to be both video and audio. And so it's going to be on about 40 or 50 different stations. And from that, I do plan on doing some work with other collaborative leaders who I've already been speaking to who want to take their companies into kind of a test case of using Iggy principles. So my goal is to do what yeah, I'm doing. I love what I'm doing, helping people yeah. from a, I'm more of a consultant than I am a coach. Yeah. I would like to get back on the speaking circuit before COVID. I liked being out traveling the world and speaking and traveling. So I do want to have that happen. But my goal is to have this spiritual discussion of spiritual intelligence be way bigger part of what I do. And so that's just going to be moving forward with putting that in more companies yeah. and more businesses. Well, it's your purpose, right? I mean, it's exactly. your vision, right? And that's, and the, the thing about leadership and the thing about vision is vision changes lives, right? When people have vision, it changes lives. It's uh, everybody that we follow, Mother Teresa and Oprah and whatever, they have these big visions and people just naturally follow when they see that something that someone is chasing is much more bigger than them and they want to be part of it. And I definitely see this as a great, great movement. I'm so excited for you. I really, am. I think Thank this you. is really cool. It's it kind of, maybe you never know, maybe you're going to go down in history, just like Jim Rome with all his principles. Right. And the thing, well, rich know. principles. Well, yeah. It's I, so I, cool. Know, I, I would love to do it more from, I mean, I look at that as that would be awesome. Jim Rohn is amazing. And if that happened, which I would love it to it would be because more and more people learned and listened about their own connection to spirituality and they paid it for it and did something with it. So yeah. even though if I look at that from an ego Iggy standpoint, sometimes as I'm out when I'm doing social media or I'm looking to do these things, I'm going, okay, am I doing that from ego or Iggy? Right. But I also realized just like in a company, if you don't make profit and you don't keep making profit, or if you're in a nonprofit and you're trying to raise funds, Currency and money, and that's why it's called currency. Currency is energy. It makes the world go around. Yeah, it can so be for anything. Me, yeah. having, exactly. So for me, getting these statuses or label or awards or recognition of a Tony Robbins or a Jim Rohn, that would be because enough people believed in the messaging exactly. and they then went out and bettered their lives and bettered. So then I can, I can take that on and that badge on with pride. And what's great about it, like you said, this is my purpose. There's no end to it. This is something right. in school systems. I'm also part of the Global Junior Achievement Organization that helps 10 million kids throughout the world. So Iggy principles can be in schools, businesses, startups, government. So I, I would love to have, just like we have artificial intelligence that's almost in everything right now. It's in your mm -hmm. app, it's in your phone, it's in your communication. Right. Artificial intelligence has just become more and more. 
I would love spiritual intelligence just to be an elevated awareness that our kids, our grandkids, and our generations, it's just part of the awareness. And we respect each other for whatever their own definition of their spiritual intelligence is, but at least it's at the table being talked about and implemented and lived on an ongoing basis. Not like in the closet behind the scenes because we're afraid that someone's going to bash us because of our spiritual religious beliefs and that we're not pushing that on someone else. We're just lightening them about who we are. And hopefully our light helps shines more light on making them feel better about who they are and what they do. So that's unlimited work. I can do that till I'm in a wheelchair, you know, pushing myself down a, an aisle and going to the senior. Well, at some line, point, right? you'll just be able to type and talk and listen and with your eyeballs or with some right. something. Right. So it'll go on for <laughs> infinity. Right. And I love that you're working in the metaverse and stuff. It's so funny. I was in the metaverse as we were at the prosperity camp. And I think you left, but I don't know if you were there or not. And we're in there. And I'm like, Someone said, well, we need someone to guide us through this. And and I immediately, while we were sitting there, went on and bought concierge metaverse, metaverse concierge, met con, con met. (laughs) Yeah, I just did a whole bunch of that so that I can buy the the concierge service for the metaverse if someone wants to buy the website. That's going to be big. You're going to be glad you did that at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, well, you know, I was part of EXP Realty and they already have a metaverse. And going into their metaverse, I knew, you know, hey, you need a concierge you know, to come and help you, you know, show you the way and show you around and, hey, let me show you the place. So I'm really excited about that too. So it's been great having you on here. I could talk to you forever. I want to ask you what you would want to leave to our listeners. If there is something that you'd like to leave that has something to do with your book or your movement or not, just what's on your heart right now that you'd like to leave with everyone so that they have some type of an action that they could be taking after listening to the podcast? Yeah, thank you for that. I guess the one that comes to mind is one of the principles in the book, and it's the one that I found released the most energy for me in all that I did and all that I do, and that is the power of forgiveness. And I would ask the listeners to just think about in their lives right now. Who in their life, whether it's a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, an uncle, who have you not talked to in a long time mm-hmm. because you are mad at them or you can't forgive them for something or vice versa? Mm-hmm. Someone else is mad at you or thinks you have done them wrong and they can't forgive you. Mm-hmm. What I found is when I can go find ways to heal those relationships, it doesn't mean those relationships have to continue on and you have to be best buddies after that if that's not the case. What I found is a power of forgiveness of governments, organizations, Mm -hmm. people, family members, or others unleashed so much power for me that I never realized it was one of the best gifts that other nature has given us. And so I would ask the listeners to say, who in your life right now is that person for you? And who is that other person you need to forgive and who needs to forgive you? And if you spent the next week finding ways in yourself, through meditation or prayer or counsel of a friend or whomever to go find ways to heal that relationship, that unlocks so many doors of creativity. It takes a burden out of your life in a way. Yeah, that the monkeys fall off your back, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it could be something from 10 years ago that you've hung on mm-hmm. that you just said, hey, I tucked that away. I haven't even thought about it. It's in the past. I can tell you for okay. me, my <laughs> own experience of stuff that I knew I needed to forgive someone for, or I needed to ask their forgiveness, even if it was long ago. And I just said, hey, out of sight, out of mind. When I took the time to do it, it's one of the most powerful things. And I do that now on a weekly and monthly basis. I take internal inventory. Who do I need to forgive and who needs to forgive me? And that act alone in business or personal life has been one of the best gifts I can advise anyone in doing. It's really, really powerful. And the timing is perfect because I have someone very specific in mind right now. (laughs) 
that you just get your, your feathers up and you just, you're not ready. Like for me, it's not that I won't forgive. It's that I'm not ready. Does yes. that make a difference? Totally, and so, and it totally wears on it. Totally understand that. Yeah. And it totally wears on you. It's like a constant grind, grind, yes. grind. And yeah. yeah, you know, sometimes you just have to swallow some pride and suck it up and call people and say, don't even, you don't even have to say anything. Just call and say, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> and pretend like it didn't happen if that's what it is, you know, but just let it go, you know, let yeah. it go, let it go. As my grandkids always say, well, again, Steve, it's been great having you on here. What is the best way for someone to reach you? I would say the best way is probably steverogers.net. And Rogers has a D in it, R-O-D-G-E-R-S. And they can remember it like Captain America. I was like, when I found out Captain America's name was also Steve Rogers and his alias, I was like, oh yeah, I'll take that. So <laughs> steverogers.net. And then I'm on social media and that's all at the bottom of my website and stuff. But that's probably the best way. Okay. Uh, I and also have, have it in the show notes yeah, too. Show notes too. So that's, that's, that's a, that'll get to the Iggy stuff. And I have my corporate site, which is the alchemyadvisors.com. But for the sake of this call and discussion, I felt like saying steverogers.net. That's where the Iggy yeah. stuff is. Yeah. Well, I think both are great because we have a lot of business owners and a lot of owners of companies, large companies and small business owners too, right? And salespeople listening and they could go to their managers and say, hey, we need a shift. We need a change in our business. Something has to give. So we'll make sure that we have that link as well. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure getting to know you even more. I hope you're bringing books to Secret Knock. And if you aren't, please bring one. Me. <laughs> I will make sure that I do. That. <laughs> please bring one for me because I'd love to have a signed copy yeah. of it. And again, I want to say thank you for joining us today, for taking time out of your day. There's some gratitude for you right there, right? Taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I hope that this has been beneficial for you and that you have some action items that you can take and run with. And at last but not least, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our YouTube channel. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery Membership Community, where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.